my goals for an actor are not to make them famous. It is to make sure that they have health insurance and to make sure that they're putting food on their table and to make sure that they are liked, liked by important people that will give them more opportunities to get paid to act. Welcome to Get Seen Unscripted. I'm your host, Jesse Malinowski. We are going to dive into acting insights, meet industry pros, and master the business. Don't forget to subscribe and share. We're keeping you behind the scenes and ahead of the game. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Get Seen Unscripted. Thanks for coming back, or welcome if this is your first time. I'm super amped for our guest today. He is the president of Atlanta Models and Talent, easily one of the top agents here in the Southeast. He's also a best-selling author of Ask an Agent. If you guys do not have this book, definitely go get it. You can get it on Amazon and probably the best title, great friend, Jason Lockhart. What's up, man? So glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. I'm just excited for you know the wild adventures that you keep doing and to be a part of them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I don't know if a lot of people know this about you, but you were an actor, and I'm sure there's a lot of actors uh, <laughs> tuning in. So how was you being an actor, how did it influence you as an agent now, and how does it help? I think it's extremely helpful um, because the actor psyche is unlike any other profession that that I've ever witnessed. It's just a lot of failure. Um, a lot of rejection, which is easily heard and understood, um, but to live it and feel it is a different thing. I started acting as a kid. I grew up in a very small town in Ohio, 30-some thousand people. And the only way to like really be cool was sports. And, and I you was, went the opposite way. <laughs> I needed to because in sports I was always coming in like second, third, fourth, if best. And, um, you know, my friends, Greg and Chad and Nathan, they always beat me. And I wanted to be the best at something. I, I just did. And when I was 11 years old, my parents had me audition for a theater job. And this community theater was doing The Wizard of Oz. And I was like, great, you know, if I could be a munchkin, that'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, none of my friends did theater. So. Wait, were you a munchkin? No, I got the Tin Man. Okay, sweet. <laughs> which also sucks as a kid because when you start as a lead, you never want to be chorus or background Oh, ever. man, that is so true. <laughs> so I got bit by that. And, um, you know, one thing led to another. Before you knew it, I was doing all kinds of acting all over the country. You know, I ended up with agents in different cities and doing big things. And suddenly in my small town, I felt like a big fish. And I was, I was you know, making headway and feeling cool. But then I got to L.A., well, hold that, on, wait. If you were acting all over the country, uh, like as as kind of like a kid actor, what was one of your what was one of the jobs that you had and that that like you really loved? Well, I was the click it or ticket kid for uh, <laughs> that was like a like nationwide yes campaign for wearing your seatbelt. Did that make you want to wear your seatbelt or not? Wear I didn't your have a choice. I mean, can you imagine if the click it or ticket kid gets pulled over and wasn't wearing one? Uh, but that was, it was a cool job. They flew me to uh, to D.C., actually. Interesting story on that, though. I had done a paintball gun toy commercial. There was It was called the NRG Paintball Gun Toy, which was at, like, Toys R Us and KB Toys and everywhere. And that I auditioned for in Cincinnati. And I remember standing in line with all of these other kids that all looked cooler than me and taller than me and had better hair and whatever. And uh, I could hear them in the room uh, auditioning. I thought, I got to... What can I do like to be outside the box, to be different than them? I want this so bad. So I literally 
jumped up on the boardroom table with all of these execs and I ran up and down the table shooting all of the people that were <laughs> like deciding who was going to be cast. And I did book that job and then they auditioned in New York and LA for the Click It or Ticket kid and I guess they couldn't find who they were looking for. They were like, we want someone from the Midwest. And this producer from the paintball gun commercial was like, there's a kid that I worked with about a year ago in Cincinnati, even though that's not where I was from. So can we go audition him? Let's send the director to Cincinnati. Get out of here. So the director flew in. They, they probably read like five guys. Um, and I did book it. Um, but anyways, like all of that success was because I was in a really small pool and I worked really hard and like I still do to this day. Um, but it was so different when I got into the big market with real competition and just failed left and right all day every day and so that really has hold on i don't know if you failed i've seen you on the cover of a movie before did i get paid a lot for it i have no idea <laughs> i mean look where i'm sitting right now <laughs> you know i'm far from famous as an actor or financially successful as an actor um, which are two very different things but they yeah. tend to come hand in hand yeah um so i did learn a lot about fame and following that comes with minimal success as an actor. And I've learned that that is not consistent and that doesn't drive income or provide longevity of career. Um, so I understand how to help an actor continuously look at it as a business and as a career and not just the next job. It's always about the career, which I never had. And I also understand how some jobs do pay more and it might not be the job that you want, but if you're not working, you're unemployed. And if you've got bills to pay, you really need to look at the big picture as an actor and figure out how can I do this full time. And that's where I love being an agent because my goals for an actor are not to make them famous. It is to make sure that they have health insurance and to make sure that they're putting food on their table and to make sure that they are liked, liked by important people that will give them more opportunities to get paid to act. And I never would have known that if I wasn't a struggling actor for so long. Um, but it also helps me understand that there's so much self-esteem roller coasters that you jump on as an actor. And every year is going to be a different ride. There's no guarantees unless you're, even if you're a series regular, there's no guarantee that your show is going to go for 20 years. Few do, you know, short of like The Simpsons. So everything that I have done led me to being an, an agent. I never sought out that job. I feel like all of these paths of failure kind of led me to it. And it was something that was bigger than me, almost like a calling that I was meant to do so that I could help people in my short time on this planet. Yeah, yeah. I, and I think, I mean, uh, you and I talk about this a lot too, like how much better it feels when you're helping people. Um, so I, I, I love that for you. And I love that like you found your way there but I want to talk about that transition, though, for a second, because I think I think it's okay for people to be like, you know what, maybe I don't want to do this acting thing anymore. It doesn't mean that you're a failure, though, because of it. Can you talk about when you decided, all right, I think I'm going to try this agent thing and how, like, your psyche was, how you felt about that? Like, were you beating yourself up? And, like, how long did it take you to get to how you feel about this now? A lot of it was from a financial place. It was like I had made all this money in Las Vegas as a photographer. And it was enough to move and live comfortably in L.A. for a while. And when that was dwindling and I was unable to achieve all of the other personal goals that I had in life, you know, I really wanted to get married and, and be a dad. And 
I was nowhere near capable of supporting myself, let alone anyone else. I was like, I gotta, I gotta make money. You know, I'm living in Los Angeles. I gotta make money. This is expensive. So I just started thinking, well, what else can I do? You know, this is what my degree is in. It's all I've ever really known. I don't know if I'm good at anything else, you know? Um, so I was like, let me just see what else exists in this industry. And I got a lot of hard no's learning to be like an agent or a manager or a casting assistant. I thought, you know, all of those are just areas that I could try, I would love to do. Um, I'm here in the mecca of Hollywood where these, you know, there's a plethora of these kind of jobs and a lot of turnover because they pay so low. And after a bazillion no's, I finally thought outside the box and uh, creatively and, and, and I got my first little yes. And I did know on the very first Friday at the end of my first week when I was sitting at a showcase and there was a Q&A and actors were asking questions and I was like, I thought, you know, I am not qualified to answer anything right now. But I just started speaking from experience to help an actor that was sitting in the audience. And I could see them nodding and like the room was nodding. And I thought, oh, I feel important. Like, I feel like I'm, I have some value because I didn't feel valuable for so long and my bank account proved it. So it started to feel good to make a little bit of money off of this giant industry that I loved so much. And it really came down to money, which is why we do jobs. You know, yes, you want to love your job, but at the end of the day, it's called work. You know, you have to work to get money to pay bills and to buy food, which is necessary for survival. Um, so it really boiled down to that for me. And, um, I guess I don't, I don't feel like a failure as an actor in retrospect. I just got tired of failing. I got tired of the rejection. Uh, and I also got tired of like what I looked like and caring about that. You always look like a million dollars. What are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> I mean, well, if I look like a million, you look like a billion. Dude. <laughs> so I do my best. Um, but it's all, yeah, it's all facade. It's like. I'm always working to be making money to pay bills. And I think the best thing that you can do is, is to give the world and get money back. I love that. I love that. So, so you spent time in LA, obviously, even Vegas. Being here in Atlanta, how, how do you see the opportunities for actors uh, being different or the same or better or worse, pros and cons? I love Atlanta. I think Atlanta's magical. And I had no idea till I got here. You know, when I was in LA, uh, you would see like Southeastern breakdowns. And I knew like New Orleans had some, some projects and Atlanta had stuff. But I thought it was like Walking Dead and the Vampire Diaries world in 2017. I didn't, I didn't really know till I got here. And in my very first week here, when I got onto the breakdowns and thought that I would be submitting like two things a day, I couldn't believe that I was working till 1 a.m. And there... I was working on 70 different projects and had to meet 14 casting directors and had like a thousand clients and would get over a thousand emails a day. I had no idea that it was booming in the Southeast. Um, and it was terrifying for months. But everything is terrifying when you don't know what you're doing. And I didn't know what I was doing here. You know, I didn't know what shows were shooting. I didn't know what I was working on. I didn't know who I was working with. Just getting bazillions of emails and getting managers from New York and L.A. telling me what to do. Like I just had so much, you know, overwhelming stimuli. Uh, but once I understood what was going on and learned through a lot of trial and error pretty quickly, I really started to appreciate this market and the people in it and the cooperative versus competitive 
energy and um, to really answer your question about what's it like for the actor, I feel like the amount of opportunities that exist in the Southeast versus how many people are competing for these opportunities is a significantly lower number than what it is in Los Angeles. What about the, I feel like the question comes up on like the bigger roles, right? Getting the the much bigger opportunities in LA. And I know that it's changing here in the Southeast. Like we both know that, but how do you think that kind of compares? Because I feel like we're both kind of in the mindset of like, work as much as you can, like just get that positive momentum, get all of those yeses, say yes, and like then it's gonna it's gonna come, right? As opposed to somebody that maybe is in LA, haven't really booked anything, they kind of get lucky on that first series regular role. And and now they're series regular and that's how the industry views them as opposed to maybe somebody in Atlanta where like they got 20, 30 co-stars. Like, do you think there is a real difference between those two markets because of that? I think a lot of it's about relationships. You know, so these, Los Angeles has been a booming industry for many years, much longer than Atlanta. Atlanta's been booming for like a decade. Right. Uh, Not even. Um, So when I say it's about relationships, you know, these producers and directors and showrunners have been working with these casting directors in Los Angeles, like a Carmen Cuba, you know, Sheila Jaffe. They've been working with these casting directors, David Rappaport, for a very long time. They have personal relationships. They know, like, and trust these human beings that they've been doing business with for numerous decades. For that reason, when they're casting a role, they're going to the person that they know, like, and trust and have been working with for many years to find them someone to fill that role. Now, these head honcho showrunners from, like, let's say, Netflix, they don't have these long history uh, relationships for numerous decades with someone like a Feldstein Paris casting office. They do have a relationship with them now that has happened over the last decade, you know, and they've even built that relationship much stronger through projects like Stranger Things and Ozark. Um, But they still are going to Carmen Cuba first for Stranger Things because that's where the relationship was born. But because the relationship is getting stronger with like a Feldstein Paris and they're seeing the success of that, doors are starting to open, they're starting to listen, they're starting to trust in these newer relationships that they've been building. But I think that's a big part of the reason why the Atlanta actors aren't getting the same opportunities. It's because they're going through a casting director who doesn't have the same long history with the producers and the directors and the showrunners. That makes so much sense. And I think, it you know, it the biggest thing that, that actors need to remember is like, you got to just be patient right? Like you cannot uh, beat out a decade of time, a decade of relationship, no matter like how good you are, right? Like you just can't. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing you can do about that. And I think I'm a big believer in don't focus so much energy, which is power on things you have no control over. Mm -hmm. You have no control over who's going to book the role. You only have control over how great you do when you do get the opportunity to do it. Yeah. You know, um, I remember a few years ago being at this like gigantic SAG-AFTRA like Q&A with a bunch of agents and it was all about comparing our two markets. And I was just really quiet for like the first hour. And then finally Clayton Landy, who was kind of 
moderating and I rep Clayton and, and, and love him. He was like, Jason, you haven't said much. And I was like, I'm just fucking annoyed that everybody's sitting here comparing and trying to be like LA. Embrace what we have in the Southeast. As soon as you start to embrace and relish and be grateful and excited about what's going on here and know that your time is coming, it's probably going to come. When you're so busy being jealous over something else and trying to turn yourself or morph into something else, you're spending your energy wrong. Bro, I I love that so much and I feel like I feel like you and I have like talked about that before. And and specifically what I mean by that is the like yeah, just focus on where you're at, focus on the opportunities you have. And and to to just kind of compound that thought I legit, and I'm sure you're going to second this, like I legit don't have one story of someone that was in the Southeast with good credits, good demo reel that went to LA and then all of a sudden everything changed for them. It's like because they're going to the place that none of the relationships are established, right? None of those things are, are, are created. Maybe the agent or manager is good. Maybe they're not. Every single one I've seen go out there with really good credits, has then ended up coming back essentially with their tail between their legs, if you want to say. Um, and that's nothing against them. That's just like, unfortunately, that's what's happened. And it's like, now you got to restart. You got to re get, get going all over again because of, because of, of it not working, of like starting over as opposed to just staying where you're at and being grateful and saying yes and continuing to move forward. Absolutely. And I think people forget to compare it to other industries because if they did that, I think less people would chase the fame and what I kind of feel like is greed. Um, not everyone though. Like some people like I had to go to LA, you know, I understand like that is the hub. Hollywood is where it's at. So I understand that like desire and drive to go and i feel like if you have that and you don't go you're always going to be like what if yeah but where i think it's a different situation is if you're starting to taste success in atlanta or in the southeast that is not the time to go that is the time to go full force into the southeast and and celebrate your wins here and your successes here and make them bigger and grander and start thinking about other things you want outside of work outside of job because what if you can attain them here? Going back to what, when I said, like, I think people don't always parallel. I think paralleling industries is so important because we're talking about work, we're talking about jobs, we're talking about business. And if you were a restaurateur and you opened like a burger restaurant that's just crushing it in Atlanta, does it make sense to close that restaurant or kind of ignore it and go open a that burger restaurant in the middle of downtown Los Angeles where there's so many more burger restaurants, maybe it'll be successful. There's always that hope. It's a Mecca of food as well, but might make more sense to open a second location in Atlanta. And that's going stronger in Atlanta to me. Yeah. And I, I, well, I feel like a lot of, a lot of people and a lot of listeners would probably say like, oh, well, I'm not closing the one in Atlanta. That one is still being kept open. I'm just going to go open one in LA. But I think it's good to know that like we only have so much energy, right? I'm not saying you can't do it, but you have to understand that now you are taking energy away from something that's working and putting it into a place that is not guaranteed and will the other locations suffer because of it? From my experience, they do suffer. These actors that we've had that have gone out to other markets 
they absolutely suffer in Atlanta. I don't have many success stories of people constantly coming back and working. It, it really is, it's a hindrance because we're honest with the casting director. You know, like, they just, they're not here. They can get here and some of them do. Some actors are really wonderful about saying, I can get to Atlanta immediately. Um, but I have way more stories that are, that are you know, sad endings. Mm. What's one of your most memorable success stories as an agent? I mean, I have to get personal, I guess. You know, my, I hope so. <laughs> my little nephew. Uh, I mean, both of them. Uh, you know, I, I remember seeing breakdowns for kids six and under all the time. And we just had very few on the roster. And there was one in Pittsburgh for the Tom Hanks movie, the Mr. Rogers movie, the, yeah. I don't even think, what's it called? Neighborhood something. And uh, it was different then. And I thought, we don't have anybody who's five to play this like little make-a-wish kid who's got a couple of lines with Tom Hanks. But I knew the casting director, Donna Balajek, who's like the main casting director in Pittsburgh because I auditioned for her as a kid numerous times. And she and I had this long Wait, relationship. Wait, you were the click ticket guy. I was the click ticket <laughs> Yeah, she didn't cast me in that. But, um, but I did audition for her numerous times. She almost booked me as Michelle Pfeiffer's son in, um, what was it, The Deep End of the Ocean. Uh, she kept bringing me in. And so we had this relationship. So I reached out to her out of nowhere. I was like, maybe you'll remember me from the 90s. Uh, Jason Lockhart. Did she? She did. Yeah. And she was like, what? It's so great to see <laughs> your name. And I, and I was, it was great to see her name. You know, 20 years had gone by. And I was like, now I'm an agent. I'm in the Southeast. But my nephew is five years old and he lives in Ohio. He could be a modified local to Pittsburgh. It's only less than three hours away. Can we get him an audition? And she said, yeah. And then I had to call my sister. I'm like, can you put him on tape? And I was, and. Uh, Wait, what, what, was your sister like, Jason, come on. No. Or like, how did it go? She loves the industry. Um, and really my brother-in-law is, uh, he's just a great dad. And he, he was supportive and as well. And they, they put Gavin on tape and I watched that audition and I thought he's going to book this. Not because he was a good actor but because he was listening so intently for his line. And I think that is a key to, to children booking. It's a key to every actor booking. He's, you have to really be listening, not acting like you're listening, you know? Yeah. And he booked it. And that was a huge moment for me when I thought it doesn't matter how much money I ever make as an agent, like forever, this little kid's life has changed. And when he is like in college trying to like date, he'll be able to say, I was that little make a wish kid in the Tom Hanks, Mr. Rogers movie. Um, little did I know that he was going to end up booking Ozark and Stranger Things and WandaVision and all of these other, he's the lead in like Hallmark movies. He's had a great career. And so is his younger brother now, who's, um, the young Kelvin on Righteous Gemstones. Yeah. Um, they're crushing it. They're crushing it, but they're so talented. And, um, so for me, that is the greatest reward because it's personal. The, the, the great listeners is such a, such a good, such a great point. I mean, for everyone, right? If you're, if you're auditioning you need to be listening that i love that that's like the first thing to like focus on have you have you seen them improve have you been telling them to get in classes and stuff is it, do you think do you think it's only listening that they've booked this many jobs or they're continuing to grow and get better they are um they're both very smart like off the charts intelligent and i always say i want to work with intelligent actors i think someone who is on the path to be like a scientist or a doctor or a lawyer or a major ceo um could also potentially be a great actor if they can get out of their own way. Because I do think it's this is a very, very hard business. But most jobs that pay six figures consistently 
take some intelligence, you know, and not just um, not just a good face, which is kind of why I think a lot of people, definitely like in the 70s, 80s, 90s, a lot of people wanted to be an actor because they were totally good looking, you know, but if you watch TV in the 90s, almost everybody's really attractive. It's very different now. Um, and I think the people that are so successful are those who are so creative, you know, and really do know who they are. And both those boys are so creative. The young one, Tristan, he's already saying that he like, he wants to go to North Carolina School of the Arts because that's where Danny McBride went and they're friends, you know, and he wants to be a director. And for him, he doesn't memorize the lines and act. He memorizes the whole story. He's very, very aware of what's happening in the scene. And he just plunks himself into the story, almost as if he's directed the entire audition. I mean, that 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 is crazy. <laughs> it took me years and years to, to learn to do that. I call it memorize the moments, right? All the different moments within the scene as opposed to the lines. And then the lines just kind of come naturally, right? But the fact that, how old is he? He's eight. Damn it. I know. All right. He's, I know. he's coming to teach it, get seen soon. <laughs> he would love that. <laughs> I mean, he writes and directs and he does everything already. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast. If you're an actor and you're enjoying this, then I can promise you, you are going to love the Atlanta Actor Summit brought to you by Get Scene Studios. It is our three-day online event that is going to blow you away. Since we're Get Seen, you can expect the top industry pros. You can expect to come together with other actors and really gain that actor tribe and build that community. And then you're going to be able to put together a really solid game plan for your 2024. So everyone, the event is December 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. It is the Atlanta Actors Summit. You will not want to miss it. Right now is early bird pricing. So you can grab your ticket right now and get it at the most affordable rate. Again, this is a three-day virtual event. So mark the days off and grab your ticket now and enjoy the rest of the podcast. All right, switching gears a little bit. You do how many minute abs? Eight? Eight. Eight minute abs. All right, so you do eight minute abs <laughs> on this YouTube video. That was like me. Cheesy 90s video. Yes, it's the best. How did you find this video and how long have you been doing it? I think one of my friends from Los Angeles, Rebecca Kuzma, if you're watching, Rebecca, hey, uh, she's a makeup artist and... Um, she lived around the corner for me. We worked together. We were friends. And I think I just went over to her house one day. We were going to do something. And she was getting ready to do it. She was like, do you want to do this with me? No. <laughs> but I was like always concerned about having six pack and like just working out. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll try it. And I loved it. And so then I just started doing it like every single day. Still to this day. Yeah, I, you know, I've been looking for other things. I've been doing other things. I found a, a standing ab workout that I really like that I've been doing that. You know, okay. Often. So the uh, any monetization for that YouTube channel is mostly coming from you. I've definitely helped them. And th <laughs> thank you. If you guys are watching, thank you for giving me, you know, your ab video. So I know that you are a big Batman fan, which by the way, and I haven't showed you this picture. I got to show it to you. When I was a kid, I was a huge Batman fan as well. I have this cute little photo of me like this. I'm wearing a Batman shirt. I have two little Batman figures. I have Batman high tops on. Like I'm I'm Batman out as like this like six year old or can we get Can we get that video, somebody? It's, yeah, it's, it's, or, it's or that picture. I'd like to see. It's it. gonna pop up. It's got to. Um, but 
within the Batman universe, what elements do you bring into your like your business as a talent agent? Like, do you, are there any like parallels within the Batman universe to like your universe, and and how do they help you? I'm gonna come up with one right now. Because I will say, my parents told me as a kid I could be anything I wanted to be when I grew up, and I'd still like to be Batman. I think it could parallel our universe because there are so many egomaniacs in the entertainment industry. And part of my job as a talent agent is not just to find actors, jobs that pay money, but it's also to protect them and protect them from possibly their own egos and or those who they're working with. And some contracts are very one-sided. And so I have to do my best to make sure that the egomaniac isn't taking advantage of the good people of Gotham. Mm, I love that. What about what about when the egomaniac is your talent? Then I also have to bring them down. And, How do you do that? Uh, well, I have to first figure that out. And it's not that hard to kind of see an actor who's chasing fame versus an actor who truly loves the work because it pays them and they're good at it. You know, can't really test for that. But You mean when, like when you're interviewing someone yeah. to like come on board? But we as a team at AMT, we can definitely vibe in a meeting with a potential new client if they start asking about like Los Angeles and social media followers and stuff like that and they don't even have credits yet. You know, having a manager as well. It's like, why do you need a manager? You don't even have a career. You don't even have a co-star credit yet. You know, or people that say after one or two small, small credits that now they only want to do big things. Where I do respect that desire, I just don't have a lot of experience from a positive business standpoint of that working. Um, I feel like, though, a lot of actors that have those thought thoughts, right, It it's really just comes from a place of, like, ignorance, like, of just not knowing, right? Like, they're just like, well, when I think of successful actors, they have agents and they have managers, so that's what I need. You're right. right. You know, yeah. so like it really just comes comes from a place of just not being educated, right? I think so. I think that's a really good point. You know, it's not necessarily like them being super ego driven, just them just not, again, not being educated, you know? So I guess uh, with that point, maybe elaborate on it. Like wh why do actors need or not need managers then? The benefit of having a manager is that you have their network, you know? So like if you sign with AMT you suddenly have all of the casting directors that we have successful business relationships with listening to us and willing to see your work, willing to give you opportunities because of a history that we have working with them. So if you get a manager, now you suddenly have their network as well. If they're in a different market, then you've got that market's network. So it kind of depends on who their network is. Does their network provide worth? Because um, you don't really need two people submitting you in the same market for the same stuff. There's no benefit there. Then you're just paying double, but you're only getting one thing. I love that. I haven't I haven't heard of it and thought of it. I mean, like I, I get it, but I hadn't thought of it like that before. How, how could how could an actor even like distinguish that, right? Because you're I feel like that's what often happens, right? You get an agent, or at least actors tend to get an agent and then they try to get a manager and it's like the exact same network. And it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. It's not worth it. I mean well, let's say you have an agent and you want to get a manager instead of the reverse. I would look 
on IMDb Pro, which is an investment every actor should subscribe to. I would look at the roster of that management firm, company, or individual, and look at what recent jobs their actors are booked on. If they've got a bunch of actors that look nothing like you and they all have, you know, their top 20 actors look like they're all booking projects in the past six months based on the research that you can see online, that's a great sign that you could be one of them. If you don't see that, how do you think you're going to be the lucky one? What about you as the agent? Do you like to work with managers? Some. It really depends if we're like-minded on a business, like mission statement, moral kind of code. Um, I actually said this recently for the first time, and it really made sense to me because a lot of actors want to get a manager as soon as they've started to taste success. And I don't think that's the appropriate time unless it's the right manager because we at AMT love working together. There isn't a bad apple on staff. And especially like in the TV film department, like I should specifically talk about that. You know, we have a very specific way of working that we feel is for the good guy. Um, we have morals and, and, and just a, a way of doing things that we believe in to our core. And when we're working for an actor and we're starting to find success and they're getting success, it's working. And what's unfortunate, and I have so many of these stories is that suddenly they've tasted a little bit of success, so then they bring in this manager who wants to be CC'd on literally every single email moving forward. Well, that's because they're they're like part of the team, right? Part of the team. But that manager, there's no guarantee that that manager is going to work the same way we do, believe in the same system we believe in, have the same values or morals, and that is where it becomes unfortunate, you know? Because the manager ends up getting more in the way? Messes up deals or like... Yeah, it messes up energy and it, it's sad that I, I just have so few stories of like the manager coming in and then it getting better. Mm. I do have a few though. So it isn't, this isn't like a, a finite response, um, but it, it drastically leans in the negative way. And I would compare it to having an actor, well, the reverse of adding someone to the team. I, I need to, I, actors should... I wish that actors could understand the psyche of like, look, we've got this great team and we're finding success. We don't want to add somebody just yet. Let's use you as an example. You know, you've just booked three things, you know, recurring on a show and this big movie. And you're like, I want to get this manager. I'm like, okay, well, because you've tasted success, Jesse, we're going to add someone to the team beyond your control. And they're going to start having a very strong voice to the point where, we're going to have them be your acting coach. So now we've brought in this acting coach who's going to be CC'd on every single audition and every single deal, and they're going to self-tape you. We want them in the room on the audition and telling you how to do every single audition moving forward and pick the tape and send it in. You'd be like, why is my agency doing this to me? We got all the success with the small team that we've had. Right? Why are you forcing this person into the system just because we, you're, you know, just because AMT thinks that this is the best coach, and this is going to open doors, and they're going to help you get to guest star because they're so such a great coach. Like, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. Would you like <laughs> it if I, we did that to you? I would be like, hell no. But hell no. Hell no. That's how we feel. It's like hell no. We don't want this person coming in who we have no relationship with. We're looking at their roster. It doesn't look like they've got a ton of actors booking, especially those who they rep from the southeast. 
Because why does a manager in Los Angeles need to leave Los Angeles to find an actor? <laughs> you know? I mean, um, it does feel like yeah, there's just so many managers like kind of doing that. It's like you're just trying to like get a 10% from a bunch of different people. And it's like, it totally feels that way. And that's so, possible. So then I guess the, 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 the question then is like, how do actors navigate that, right? I mean, if we want to continue to use me as the example, right? We could maybe argue that having a manager wouldn't be the worst thing for me. So then how does an actor do that? Like, how how do you get a manager on board to help elevate you to the next level as an actor for the whole team? I would try to find one that looks to be proving a lot of success for someone similar to you. You know, maybe not your exact type, but someone close to your category even, yet willing to take you on because you're different enough. And it would be great to see, well... How do you know if it's the manager or like their agent? Well, you know, because if, if so many managers jump on board, right? And then it's like, well, this manager rep, someone, it's like they didn't do any of that work. The manager didn't do any of it. I think that's where chatting with the team is actually great. So if the team says, we don't actually feel like you're ready, that's not the point to drop AMT, you know, and just go get a different agent who's going to work with the manager that you want. There are actors we feel are ready. And when, we've, when we feel they're ready, it's because they've booked with every casting director already in the Southeast. They've like, they're just, they're ready for more. They're ready to compete. They have the tools and the materials that we, from a business standpoint, have experienced the ability to move forward. You know, like a Gabrielle Binloss, who's an actress that I represent, who loves Atlanta, mentors actors here. She has no desire to ever leave Atlanta, but I could tell she was ready. And she was. And we were able to get her in with someone who we had a proven track record of success with from seeing a plethora of positive emails and brevity and adding money to the pot. You know, I think there are two kinds of managers. I think I talk about this in the book. I feel like there, there are those who add opinions and then there are those who add money. And um, it's okay to add one that has opinion if that's what you're looking for. But as the agency, we have our own opinions you know, like we're not really looking for more opinions on how we do our job. Just like I'm not going to tell a manager how to do theirs ever. I've never told a manager like this is how you should be doing your job. Never once. But I've had so many managers tell me how I need to do mine. It's like mind blowing. And I think they, they it's easier to do that because we're in Atlanta. It's like, oh, well, I'm in Los Angeles. So I can tell you how to be, how to negotiate that deal in Atlanta because you don't know what you're doing. I don't have one success story of a manager butting into a deal and it's suddenly getting way better unless they could go over our heads because they know the producer directly or the casting director personally and they want to help you know like that would be great you know take take the weight off my shoulders instead of just like tell me what to do and that's adding the network exactly if they've got the network and they're able to do it yep great great um so you know it's it's complicated adding to the team in this whole process but it definitely it definitely has some potential value for the right you know, for the right client. I know that you work your your ass off and you take a lot of pride in that. I think balance is really, really important. It's something I really talk about a lot with actors to make sure that as an actor, you're not getting all of your happiness from auditions, callbacks, bookings. If you only focus on that and that's like your reward, if you will, then you're eventually going to be unhappy and if you want to continue on this journey, you need to make sure you're happy. You got to make sure that you're feeling good. So you as someone I know that like really works 
hard and puts in a lot of hours. How do you find that balance? And in, 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 is there a time that you feel imbalanced and how do you see it? I used to feel imbalanced. You know, the COVID pandemic really showed me that life was a lot bigger than just work. And it allowed me to slow down and I had zero work. Uh, and then when it came back, things were like guns ablazing by, you know, the fall of 2020. Honestly, the the best for me was it was actually getting married. It was, it was I had more of a reason to be balanced because when I was still single, and it was like, well, I could go see this stand up comedy show or this improv sketch, comedy, whatever it may be, like on a Tuesday night or go have drinks with people. It was always like, well, yeah, I'll go do that. And I think subconsciously, in retrospect. I was probably like, maybe I'll meet my future wife by being there. I was with you on some of those nights. You were definitely feeling that way. You were definitely looking like you like you could tell that you wanted that. Yeah. Like, and I think that's what a lot of people might actually want when they're out, whether or not they know it. Something my wife famously says repeatedly is all those people out at the bar, they all just wish they could be at home with a loved one in bed or on the couch. Mm. Why Why are you out there? Why did you spend all that time getting ready, being in the Uber, wearing those uncomfortable clothes, spending all that money, drinking, being out so late? If you could choose to just be at home on the couch with someone that you love or playing a board game with your family at home, like, would you choose that? You know, maybe not. Maybe, maybe some people love that, that thriving nightlife scene. But I think a lot of people probably don't even realize that they're out there doing that just in hopes to find someone or they're there because they don't have someone, you know, so it's like somewhere they can go and not just be home alone. I definitely agree with that. And there's, there's, I don't know how much the percentage is, but there's a percentage of truth in that for sure. <laughs> sure. And back to the balance thing, I will say, uh, once I finally did the, the new iOS update where I could do the, um, you know, do not disturb and set it on a calendar alert. That's changed my life too. Uh, just knowing that at a certain time, I don't get phone calls or messages or emails. Wait, it automatically does it? Uh, yes, I have it set. So now after a certain time, till a certain time, I don't get any notifications. And that forces me to just live in the present in my home with my family. What are the hours? I'm not going to tell people because then they're going to start messaging me like two minutes before. <laughs> That's true. That would, that would be a smart one. But even still, like, you know, the office, the AMT office back when we were in the office full time closed at six. So really, I start once I got married, I was like, you know, what? it's after six. I'll respond if I want to or if I absolutely feel the need. Um, but I did kind of learn by not responding and jumping on everything immediately all the way till like seven, seven thirty. I could finish and close a deal and casting wouldn't even respond until 9 a.m. the next day saying, thanks, got it. So it's like, why did I have to be calling actors at 9 o'clock at night to get them to close a deal when casting's not even going to send it to producers till the next day? You know, there's a reason why it's after hours. It's after hours everywhere. If it's urgent, casting will tell me. If it's not urgent, choose balance. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. And I, and I think that it's not that impressive to be available 24-7. And I think that is like an illusion that people see. Like if I can respond in two minutes every hour of the day, like that's more valuable. And maybe for a very short amount of time, but then it's just like, why are you not doing anything else with your life? Like why, like why were you not sitting down with your wife? Why were you not focusing on her? Why were you not like at the ice cream shop, at a movie, doing something like, why did you, you know? So, and I think it's also, there's an element of like, it sounds kind of weird, but like training 
your connections around you, if you answer that way all the time, then that is what they will expect. And that's how I was 2017 to 2019. Yeah. And so then they would be like, well, what's going on with Jason? As mm -hmm. opposed to, yeah, at this time, I go connect with my wife and my family and I do things that I enjoy, whether it be video games or watching Love Island or whatever yeah. it might be, you know? And 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 I, I don't think like all of a sudden someone's not like that. I, I don't like Jason as much anymore. If anything, they respect you more. I haven't had one person be like, I don't like that you're taking time for yourself. Yeah. I feel like my clients like me as a person, like I like them as a person. If there isn't mutual respect, what are we doing? So with you, uh, and when we didn't even dive into you producing films, but you've produced films, you've sold scripts, you've been an actor, you're a majorly successful agent, kind of, you know, being in all of the shoes, what is like one piece of advice that is like so needed for all of them? You got to focus your energy on giving people what they want, not what you want. How do you distinguish that? How do you get it off yourself, right? Because this is such like a, you know, we kind of talked about this before, but like an ego-driven business. And I don't say that to say like it's negative, like everyone's so ego-driven, like in a bad way, like, but you know, it's your name in the in the credits and you know, all that stuff. It's, it's, if you're an actor, it's your face on the screen. It's It's kind of about you, but in a business where it's kind of all about you, how do you not make it about you and focus it on someone else? In the choices that you make. Can I use you as an example? All right. <laughs> let's, get, let's get a little meta here. Because I am a big fan of yours. And I've been around you now for over six years to watch your journey. And I could compliment the hell out of you. And I do behind your back all the time. I appreciate that. <laughs> of course. But I've also really seen your journey. And I remember when I first met you, you always had a drink in your hand and you're wearing these bright flashy clothes and you had your bleach blonde girlfriend and, and it was just kind of chaos and you owned this school. And it was definitely, it didn't, from the outside, it was like, look at Jesse. And something changed in you. And suddenly it was not about Jesse. It was about, look at this army of actors at Get Seen who are booking machines all over town and some of the best on our roster. You took all the energy off yourself and put all that energy into the customer and giving them realistic tools that they needed, giving them inspiration to keep coming back and learning and growing. And they were putting money in their pockets and they're doing testimonials and getting more people. And then during COVID, you started doing all this stuff for free. You know, all these other schools are like having to pay their, their rent and you just didn't care about rent or getting actors. You were just giving away a wealth of information for no money. And what did that lead to? G probably a gigantic email list, you know? And then you started doing more for really low amounts of money. And it wasn't about look at Jesse at all. It was, a, it was about look at the education that can be had. And it doesn't cost a lot. And we don't need that much space. And I have made so much more money off of these clients that I have discovered from these virtual workshops and all of these, these you know, challenges that you've created. Um, so I think it comes down to these selfless choices. And I do feel like that can bring success as, I, as we can see that, I mean, Get Seen is not doing this podcast. Um, but I think, you know, if you're going to be a filmmaker, make something that people want to see. 
look at all of the projects that are out there and give the audience what they want, not necessarily what you want to do so everyone looks at you and says, wow, you're a great filmmaker. Give them a great story that's going to change lives, that's going to inspire people, you know? And if you're an actor, it's not all about how many followers you, you get and then become an influencer, you know, or about all the people that want to sleep with you. It's about how many producers want to rehire you because you showed up and did your job so well and were so easy to work with. Because you're, you're so unbelievably talented. You're so focused on the craft and giving to your partner that your partner's like, God, I wish I could work opposite that actor every day. I, oh, I wish I could always work with, with that person because they made my job so fun and so easy. So that's what I would leave people with. You know, like, what can you do to help everyone around you? If that doesn't help you ascend eventually, I don't know what will. Uh, I love that. And, and I appreciate the kind words. Thank you. Um, but you're 100% correct because when you were saying something changed in you, I was like, I know exactly what it is. What? I'm curious. Oh, no, I know exactly what it is. It was so I, I have my own business coaching. It's Pinnacle Global Network that, that I work with. And I remember they would always talk about serving. And being a, a waiter and a bartender for so long, I always hated it. I always hated, like, I need to serve. I need to serve. I was like, my serving days are over. <laughs> and um, I don't know, one of the events that I hosted or, or that I did, I was like, oh, it's not like, you know, serving at the restaurant. It's like serving something bigger than you. It's serving a community. It's serving the people around you. And so I just was like, all right, I'm just going to start. I, I just started saying it. We need to focus on serving people. Like, Anything that we're doing, any get seen meeting, anything, it's always like, how is this serving our people? How is this serving the actor? And if it's not serving them, then we need to change it. And so it, it really was changing the language in which I spoke and what we did as a company, as get seen, is like, how can we serve? Even in the workshops that we do, you know, I, I try my best not to make it like kind of everyone else. I'm like, how can we dive in? better? How can this help them in a, in a stronger way? How can it serve them? And so when you were mentioning that immediately, I was like, I just focused on serving. That's a hundred percent what happened. And that's what changed. I love it. And it's obvious from the agent standpoint, seeing it with my roster. I love it. Well, man, before we say goodbye, we have to do the spotlight sign off. <laughs> so, Which is? It's going to be five quick questions that I think are uh, important that we should put into the spotlight. All right, let's do it. So number one is what is something that you're incredibly grateful for today? Sitting in this seat. Be more specific. <laughs> what does that mean? You know, I'm grateful that any actor trusts me with their career. And I've actually got hundreds or I wouldn't be in this seat. And I'm just grateful that... You know, I faked it till I'm till I made it, and I still haven't really made it yet. But I'm, I'm grateful that I'm here because it looks like I I have made it, even though I know I have a long way to go. I feel like we all got a long way to go. Hold on, I feel like I gotta I gotta like mimic what you're doing here. Yeah, get I get yeah, excited yeah, for this rapid good. fire. Yeah, yeah. What is one book, movie, TV show, or event that changed the trajectory of your life? Jerry Maguire. I saw it three times in the theater. I was a diehard Tom Cruise fan growing up. I liked, I saw every one of his movies in the theater. I would usually dress up, take a picture by the poster at the theater, like on the day it came out, like a premiere. 
And I remember seeing the previews for Jerry Maguire and it was coming out right after like MI5 or Mission Impossible, the original and Interview with the Vampire. And I hadn't even read about it or heard about it. And I'm like, what is this stupid movie he's doing? Like, this doesn't, doesn't look commercial. Like, what, what, what is this? This looks boring. And I was wowed in the theater. And I remember thinking, why did he take that role? And it was like, because he got to play a bad guy that morphs into a good guy over the course of two hours. What? What a challenge. And then he was nominated for the Oscar for it. And I saw it three times in the theater. And it's no surprise to me that I'm sitting in this seat wearing a jacket and a t-shirt now, like trying to help other people like get their quan. Uh, do you feel like then you were like, maybe I'll be a talent agent? Or you were just like, I like this as the, as an actor. And I thought if I looked like Tom Cruise, I would get the girls. And I thought about being a sports agent. What is one thing that you cherish about your daily routine? All of the different phases. You know, I've got like my morning with the protein shake and like some of the workout stuff and like refreshing my Poshmark closet, looking at stocks, reading sports news, and then kind of getting into the early grind of the workday and like really excited to see if we can't get some bookings and deals closed before like even lunch. And I look forward to like taking a tiny little lunch break. And then I love doing phone calls all afternoon when it's like the warmest part of the day and I'm walking around the neighborhood. Can I get those steps? I do. You know, sometimes eight miles a day. Um, and then the evening portion where, you know, I've got some family time and more food and what am I going to watch? Or, you know, I love to, to actually watch TV and movies now and I, I didn't really have time for that without the balance before. So I, I love the different phases of the day. Each one has its pluses and minuses, um, but I tend to focus on the pluses. What is a mantra that you live by that helps you within your business? Three recurring themes from the book, patience, positivity, persistence. Um, those are huge for business, but they're also huge personal. I feel like those are keys to getting what you want, regardless if it's professional or personal. Most things you want are not going to happen quick, especially if they're like gigantic ones. Um, nothing's going to happen if you quit. You, you can't get what you want if you quit, um, which would be the opposite of persistence. And then um, positivity, like we have a choice on how do we respond to everything. We can respond positively or negatively. It's very easy to just lean one way or the other. Actually, I feel like it's a little easier to lean negative, you know, because bad things happen. But if you can stay positive, it helps the other two and it helps steer you toward where you, where you want to go. And I have to tell you, I think you were the best at that. I feel like I'm pretty darn positive. And then you are. And then, and then there are many days that I'm like, man, Jason got me again, got me on the positivity train. <laughs> well, I feel like you do that to me too. So it's a good balance. Dude, I, I love it. And that is why you're one of my favorite people and why you have to stay in my life, seriously. Um, so, last question then is, uh, if we could give the world one piece of advice based on everything you've gone through so far, what is it? I mean, I feel like we've said all those things, so it's really hard. I mean, I feel like I, I, I thought what you would might say is like, it just goes back to the mantra, but you don't have to say that. But I mean, that's exactly where my mind goes that and think about, okay, here's something I've never said before. Put yourself in the shoes of the person you're communicating with often, especially 
if you have an emotional response to something that's happening, be it a phone call, a text, an email, an in-person situation, if you can just pause and breathe for a moment and think about what is happening potentially in their shoes, it might change the entire outcome of the scenario. 100%. I mean, that is just really focusing on the communication. I think being patient with the situation, also bringing positivity that I think so often uh, we we think that the other people are maybe attacking us, right? When maybe they feel like they're defending themselves. And so it's bringing positivity to that, right? Um, and then I think persistence, I'll just bring all the peace to you. Uh, but the persistence in, in growing within your communication, which is so, so important with everyone around you, whether it be uh, you know, a wife, whether it be a friend, um, or an agent, whatever it might be. But yeah, dude, dude, thank you so much for being here. I love you, man. It was great. Love you too. That's Thanks right. for having me. That's right. You, you always got us drinking bangs. I only yeah. drink a bang when I'm with you, but I never, I never like, I'm never like, ah, oh, I'm drinking a bang. I'm always like, this is good, but I love it, but I always do it in your memory. 300 milligrams of caffeine. I can climb a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone, make sure you go get Ask an Agent, Brutally Answered Questions for Actors of All Stages. You can get it on Amazon. It's such a great book. Agents, actors, managers, so many people have read it, complimented you. If you don't have it, make sure to go get it, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to Get Seen Unscripted, everyone. We look forward to seeing you on the next one. But right now, you have two options. You can either leave us a five-star review because you loved this episode so much, or you can subscribe. The choice is yours, but pick one, everyone. We look forward to seeing y'all on the next one.